0: Welcome to the Real Issue Podcast. Thank you for tuning in this week. This week is what I think is known for many Bible-believing Christians who hold to a pro-life view as the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And what we mean by that is that we believe that life is sacred and it's actually in commemoration of a Supreme Court decision back in 1972 where... The Supreme Court made a decision to make abortion legal in this culture. Now I want to let you know that I want to be as gracious as possible in sharing what I'm going to share with you in this show today. I want to let you know that I am not being condemnatory toward anybody who has had uh, an abortion. I, am, I do not advocate blowing up plant parenthood facilities, I don't advocate that at all, I I believe in shutting them down, I will tell you that much, because I believe it's a money-making racket, and it's also very much detrimental to our understanding of human life and our culture. Now, I have actually been involved in conversations. I was involved in conversations with a staffer at a local college uh, a couple years ago during the time of the primary where I had a student ask me a question of a particular candidate in their pro-life position, and I'm telling them that they weren't electable because they were a one-platform wonder. And then I've also had conversations with people who are just uh, adamantly pro-choice, and I've gone and put the, the stone in the shoe of their thinking of what I'm going to be sharing with you in this show today. Now, I've just blogged what I'm going to be sharing with you, so I'll be putting this podcast on the blog as attached to the blog as well as in our listen links, so you'll be able to listen to it and see how it all ties together. I do want to let you know that I am Pro life, I believe that life is sacred from womb to tomb, and that the reason why that is is because the sacredness of human life is just one of seven boundaries or eight boundaries where I believe that we are created and by that are created by God, and we are not to cross as human beings. Those boundaries are like life, ethnicity, gender, personhood family, marriage, and sexual relationship. Each of these are set apart by God and I deem I believe they are deemed sacred. And that's the whole key word to this whole thing. What do you consider sacred? What does sacred mean? What is is life sacred? And and, and, and I don't believe they should be crossed. But unfortunately, you and I today we're seeing these boundaries eroding in our culture by the agenda of the liberal left in our culture. Now what I want to do is I want to share with you basically from three prongs of, of my defense for life in the womb from the point of conception. I'm going to start from science. I'm going to move to ethics and then I'll get to share some scripture with what God says about it uh, at the tail end of our show today. Now the whole question of you saying, well, Rob, you know, you're telling me science speaks to this issue of life. And I'm, I'm saying, yes, it does. It sure does. Because if you go and you look at the wonderful world of embryology, you have to have con- a conception of of uh, between two, two parents, a male and a female, and... I also want you to know that scientists, science, that science doesn't say anything, but scientists do, and your worldview will determine how you interpret and how I interpret the scientific results. Now, what you'll see, or what you'll hear, I should say, what you'll read in the pod and the blog is that the end game that we are seeing in our culture today is a cross between the matter of personal convenience and selfishness as a result of one's personal promiscuity and the financial gain of the abortion industry in spite of the reality of this matter. Now in order to start this whole thing as I just mentioned you have to have two people come together physically and conception has to to take place. When conception happens, there is the DNA of the man being combined with the DNA of the woman. Now, the question is whether or not that which has been created from the physical union has DNA of its own. And I, my position is that it does have its own DNA. And, and I'll speak to you more about that in just a moment. And folks, it is, I believe, a scientific fact through the wonderful world of embryology that when conception happens that the fertilized egg, by design, sets up shop, figuratively speaking, for the next 10 months on the uterine wall of the mother. I don't think that's an accident. It just doesn't float out there and all. It sets up. And then, of of course, meiosis and mitosis and cell division happens, and I'll share with more with you on that in just a moment. At the same time, that fertilized egg also has DNA of both of the parents and contains several key characteristics, which fall into what biology and physiology textbook would consider the life system. Um, what is a life system? What is determined by a life system? life system? If you look at the typical physiology book or the or the or biology books that are in high school, uh, biology classes and, and, and college physiology classes, you would see these characteristics, and I'm going to give you eight of them, where you can understand why this position is vital, vitally important, even from the scientific perspective. Now, you're thinking, well, Rob, you're a Christian, you're a Christian apologist. Shouldn't you start with the Bible? Well, when you have a conversation with somebody who has maybe had undergone a termination of a pregnancy or somebody who holds this volatile position of being pro-abortion, you don't want to start with something that they will not agree with. So what I do is I start from science. And I'll share with you at the end how this all happened um, with a with conversation I had and show you how it all works. So let's move to the eight Things that I, I believe are, are deemed in the biology textbooks and the first one is that living things you know living beings living things things that have life in them even from plant fish fowl and human and um <laughs> have cells they have cells. And of course, a single cell organism, single cell organisms have everything they need to be self sufficient. In a multicellular uh, organisms, and I'm not talking about your cell phone, specialization increases until some cells do only certain things. And this is where uh, mitosis and meiosis cell division actually happens. Number two, under the science umbrella here, if you will, living things are organized at different levels of of organization. Now, that sounds like it's kind of redundant using the word organization or organized, but when we look at living things, we see that they must be able to organize simple substances into complex ones. Now, there is a an atomic molecular and select cellular organization that is found in all living things. When it comes to cell organization we see structure from several levels from the very smallest building block of the cell to to the more complex. Let me uh, give us the list and some of the things that happen here with regards to all of this. First off, when we talk about the cell, as I just mentioned, that the cell is the smallest unit of life. Subcellular organization has to be skipped here just because of the amount of time uh, that I would need to explain this. But to be a little bit more candid here, did you know that the milk co- milk contributes a lot? Uh, one sperm cell, if you will, uh, has 37.5 megabytes of DNA information in it, and the cell is the smallest building block of life. But no matter what kind of cell one is talking about, it is packed with information. Information is the key building block for communication. If there is information, there must come it must come from somewhere, or, if I may, someone. The second uh, little building block here I want to talk about is tissue and when we talk about tissue, tissue comprises of a group of cells, is comprised of a group of cells that perform a common function. Now you have organs that are groups of tissues that perform a common function which means that organs work in conjunction with other organs known as an organ system which comprises of groups of organs that perform common fun- a common function. Many of us have heard of the term organism. Now, that is just simply uh, a complete living thing or living entity. And to get a little bit more detailed, organisms also organize at several higher levels like populations, communities, and ecosystems. The third building block I want to bring in here is this whole idea of living things having heredity. You know, if that which is in the womb has the DNA of both the mother and the father. They're carrying the genes and the DNA for, for moving forward their heredity and then being involved in contributing to the population of the society as well. But heredity, with regards to heredity, the, the question is whether or not that which has been created from the physical union has DNA. And as I just said, I believe it does. It's the, because DNA is the molecule of heredity. And as I mentioned earlier, that when conception happens, we have the combining of the DNA of the man and the DNA of the woman. And when you bring the two human beings together, we have to posit that that which has been created from the union is a preborn. Person. Now that is a key word in this whole debate, personhood. Is it a person? Is a human being a person? When does a person, when does a human being become a person or are they synonymous with one another? you'll find that the jargon of our culture today in the abortion industry and the and the pro-choice debaters will try and take the personhood away from that which is in the womb. But let me move forward because I don't want to digress. Living things, number four, have a metabolism. You know, as we get older, our metabolism slows down. When you, you that are younger than, say, almost 60 revolutions around the sun... Uh, your metabolism is running a whole lot faster than mine. Now, what we mean by metabolism is that metabolism is a set of life-sustaining chemical reactions in organisms. So, when it comes to living organisms, living things like energy, like light, maintenance, and growth, living things do what they do by using metabolism, which are the chemical reactions of life. Metabolism allows living things to respond to their environment. Number five, living things also have this thing called homeostasis. Now, that's a big word, but you don't really hear a whole lot of that unless you're sitting in a science class. But simply stated, homeostasis is the state of steady internal physical and chemical conditions maintained by living system. So living things are able to make changes to keep their internal environment within a certain narrow range. Did you know that one of the things that you and I have in our bodies is the fact that when we get cold, we shiver. Did you know that when you shiver, it is a designed example of homeostasis to keep your and my bodies warm? Bet you didn't know that. Number six, living things also grow. Whether it's a plant becoming uh, from a seed or a small seed begetting a tree, you had some germination there. And when you have germination you have something that's going to grow. And living things display growth in in utero through the cell division, which, as I mentioned earlier, which is an orderly formation of new cells. Living things display growth by cell enlargement to certain size, and then they divide, and then they organize again, and the organism gets larger as the number of cells also increase. Number seven, things, living things also reproduce using DNA. There's that three-letter powerhouse there, that DNA. Reproduction is essential for, as you and I know, the survival of the species. If we go and keep murdering babies in utero, our society's not going to increase. It's going to decrease, but... When parents reproduce, the child grows in utero and ex-utero once they're born and through through the maturation process. And all living things reproduce in one of the following ways. They either reproduce, when I'm talking about living systems, I'm not talking about humans here when I mention asexual reproduction, which is the production of offspring without the use of any gametes. When you talk about sexual reproduction... Well, sexual production which is the most common and this is this is producing of offspring by the toing, by the joining of sex cells number 8 living things adapt and evolve in a microevolutionary perspective because you have the redistribution of the genes going from one to another of the same kind of species, if you will, in this case, human beings, living things adapt and evolve in response to their environment. Now, we talk about adaptation. Adaptations are traits given an organism an advantage in a certain environment. So, you know, you talk about the Darwinian view of adaptation. That's, Folks, that's not that's not Darwinian. Every every one of us, in the sound of my voice, listening to this show today, every one of us adapted in one way or another. That's nothing Darwinian about it. So let's not give him no, let's not give Chuck any any credit on that. Okay. So you also have variation of individuals, and, and that is important for the healthy for a healthy species. And because without it, a species cannot adapt. So when we look at What life is from the domain of the scientific. As I just given you these eight pieces of building blocks and just mentioned some things, I am using this to approaching the sanctity of human life issue because you start from a scientific perspective where some people like to start because they don't. They think they don't have faith. Well, I don't have faith to be trusting in naturalistic science. So I, I, I have a, a healthy understanding of the relationship between faith and science. But as again, as I mentioned in the beginning, this is not only an argument I'm using to approach the sanctity of human life. I'm going to move, and when we come back from the break, I'm going to go on, I'm going to start dealing with the two major things that are going to be important to this argument. So we'll be back in just a moment. Hello, this is Rob Lundberg from The Real Issue Podcast. Thank you for tuning into the show this week. We'd like to ask you to do us a favor and go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever platform you're listening to, and give a review. Give us five stars and help us move up the review scale so people will get more exposure to The Real Issue Podcast and the Real Issue Apologetics Ministry. We'll be more than happy to share with you more about what this show is all about and what our ministry is all about. Also, be sure to subscribe to the Real Issue Podcast so that you'll be able to listen to more shows and get more equipped as we go out to give our world heaven. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the show.
1: Welcome to the One-Minute Apologist. apologist. If you had one minute to be able to unpack for the audience, Apologetics (laughs) seeks to give credible answers to curious questions, to give a defense. Is abortion sin? The greatest war in our culture today is taking place in the womb. In fact, more casualties have taken place in the womb than any other location in human history. Since Roe v. Wade was passed in 1973, there has been a staggering 50 million abortions in America alone. No doubt, abortion is one of those hot-button issues of our time, but we need more voices for the voiceless. Just because something is legal doesn't make it legit. Some plead abortion is necessary for the mother's health or for rape cases, but rape cases only make up 1% of all total abortions and a woman's health is the case only 3% of the time. This means that 96% of all abortions simply take place because the father or mother isn't ready for the child. So why is abortion justifiably wrong? First, because all human beings either in the womb or outside the womb are created in God's image. This means we are to value all life equally, be it life in the womb or deform life outside the womb. Scott Klusendorf explains through the use of the acrostic sled, the difference between a newborn and a preborn. He describes it this way, size, level of development, environment, or degree of dependency. Secondly, abortion is wrong because it breaks the sixth commandment. The Bible says, you shall not murder in Exodus 20:13, Amazingly, even in our culture, if a person murders a pregnant person, they can be tried for double murder. Why is it considered murder if it wasn't the mother, but if it's the mother, it's simply called her choice. Furthermore, many women and men have experienced the hurt of abortion and have undergone tremendous emotional, spiritual, and physical health problems due to the trauma. Thankfully, if you have been a prisoner of your own guilt due to abortion, the gospel provides a grace-based solution. At the cross, we can all drink from the well of God's unconditional forgiveness.
0: Hello, this is Rob Lundberg from the Real Issue Apologetics Ministry. If someone were to ask you why Christianity was true or why you were a Christian without giving your testimony, would you be able to give an answer for the hope that is within you? At the Real Issue Apologetics Ministry, we train you to be able to give an articulate answer as to why Christianity is true to workshops, training seminars, and open forum question and answer sessions. If you would like more information about how we can help you, call us at 540-424-2305 or email us at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. Let us go out and change this culture, giving them the gospel, but more if so, be able to give a reason for the hope that we have with gentleness and respect. back to the Real Issue Podcast. Thank you for holding in there with us. That was uh, Out of the Gray, uh, which is an old uh, husband-wife group. Scott and Christine Dente, which I think I, I, I love the lyrics in that song because you know, when you get real life, it sometimes there are things in our lives that are making it hard to really come to facing the truth. And that's what that song is all about. But we're talking about the, the defense for Human life in the womb at the point of conception. This Pat, the previous section, I dealt with the whole idea of science. I want to get to something a little bit more practical, and this is probably some of the most devastating parts of the argument. I know this middle prong is probably the most devastating part to the argument, and that is because it deals with ethics and it deals with practical. You see, if science actually shows that that which is in the womb from the point of conception is a human life. Now you have some ethical challenges that you have to face. And those ethical challenges that you and I have to face day in and day out really make up who you and I are. And folks, as only through a biblical worldview you'll be able to understand where we're going with this, honestly. I, I know that I've had some staffers at a local college, I've gone and uh, addressed this question when I've been confronted. And this is probably one of the biggest things that they have not even heard somebody argue. I even had a medical staffer when I mentioned this part of my argument. In fact, at that time, when I was working at the hospital, I didn't even have my scientific ducks in a row, if you will. All I did was I appealed to this part of the argument before going to the final part with Scripture. And and this is a matter of the ethics, okay? So this is the most, I think, the most deadliest part of the argument for somebody to really have to deal with who holds to a pro-choice view. And the reason is because it addresses a question based on laying out the groundwork from science, as I just mentioned, and that question is this. At the time of the termination of a pregnancy, is that which is in the womb a human life? Is it a human life, and is it a person? Of course, then now we have to talk about uh, the definition of what personhood means. But if it's a human life, I believe a human life is a person. Of course, there's characteristics to personhood that are being debated in the academic circles today by Peter Singer and others like him who are going and saying that an animal has more personhood or more rights than a human being in utero or even moments out of the womb, which is barbaric. It's neo-Darwinian, and it's just plain wrong. First off, let's deal with the whole idea of a scenario here. The scenario of one of the arguments is breathing the very first breath. Some people, some politicians would say it's not a human being, it's not a life until it breathes its first breath. I have a question that I want to pose here. Um, When the child is born some will say it is not a person unless it breathes its first breath. The first part of this is rather obvious though it commits what we call the genetic fallacy. It doesn't become a person until it breathes its first breath. So it's a person then, but question, what was it before it breathed its first breath? The, this first breath position is, is really lame, because if that which is born is not a person until the first breath, what was it before that first breath? What was it before it was delivered? And if that which is born has all the characteristics of a life based on science, good science, this objection of, of breathing its first breath begs the question. It just doesn't wash. The, the second part of this is back to the question, where you have a series of outcomes with the question. Again, the question is, at the time of the termination of the pregnancy, is that which is in the womb of human life? And of course, there's basically three answers. There's the yes, there's the no, and there's the I don't know. So before I get there, I, I usually start with this question I did with the staffer at the local college, and they told me, well, you know, um, it. Uh, I never thought of that. And I, and I took them back to like the first step. Is it? morally wrong to harm an innocent person or an innocent human life? And obviously, the answer to that question is in the affirmative. Is it wrong to harm an innocent human life? The answer to that question is obviously yes. Now, here's the issue. If that which is in the womb is a human life and your answer to that is yes, why are we destroying life? Let me just let that set for just a second. Why are we destroying life when it's a life? Well, it's not convenient for me. Well, what do they call that? I'll get to that in the biblical section. If you say no, please refute my scientific presentation that I gave in the first part of the show today and tell me where I am wrong that it is not a human life. You got the DNA. You've got homeostasis. You've got metabolism. You've got possibility of reproduction. You've got possibility. You got able to take food and, and and movement. You've got all of these attributes. What is it that's moving around? If it's not a human life, if it's not, if it doesn't have the DNA of the parents who conceived the, the, that 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 um, fertilized egg, what is it? It's got to be a human life. And if you say, I don't know, how many moral choices are being made based on that platform? How many moral choices and decisions are, is, are you willing to make based on this, I don't know, agnostic type platform? You know, I've had numerous people, as I mentioned before, uh, respond to these options in nefarious ways a physician whom I was speaking to after an afterglow, after a baby was born in our emergency room in a hospital I'll leave unnamed in upstate New York. The... The whole idea of these nurses talking about their OBGYN docs and this one particular OBGYN doc happened to be one of the, the doc for the nurse. and she said that she loved him and that was a pro-life doc. And then the other one was, was his partner, unfortunately, and, and he had 12 dilation encirclages uh, before lunch, before noontime on the OR schedule. And I mentioned that, and I was called a narrow-minded, fundamentalist, bigot, and a Bible thumper, and all this other stuff. And when I presented this question of, is that which is in the womb of human life, if you say yes, why are we destroying it? If we say no, please, let's not use junk science and determine what it is. And if you say, I don't know, how many decisions do you make on that decision? I actually had a third-year resident tell me that that was too deep for him. And if I risk transparency here, I told him, if I ever come into this emergency room and you're on duty, I don't want you touching me. It just so happened shortly, several months later, that I came in with a broken tib and fib in the hospital that I worked in. And that doctor was on and he came and I said, you remember the conversation we had about that baby that was born in the ER here? And I told you, uh, when you told me that my question was too deep and I told you I didn't want you touching me, I was serious. I want another doctor. And he just looked at me, and the nurse that was happening to be triaging me, she was the same nurse in that conversation. She looked at me, and she says, You are serious, weren't you? I said, You remember the conversation, don't you? She said, Yes. You see, folks, life is sacred. And when you look at these approaches from science and you look at these approaches from this this what we call the morning after worldview, I think these two approaches to my defense are pretty sound and I'm open to you challenging this I'm open to you debating this I will go and I will debate you publicly with moderator on a university campus and I'll have more because this, this is just the tip of the tip of the iceberg for my argument. The Christian worldview is the only worldview that answers this whole idea of life being sacred. So let's move to the last part. What does God say about it? Now, when I talk about God, you know, some people, this, you know, Christians would say, well, you know, this is where I wanted you to start, Rob. Well, let me ask you a question. When you're talking to somebody who's a happy pagan, if you work in a hospital or if you are are in a conversation over coffee at, at, uh, at the local coffee shop, and... You start with your Bible with somebody who holds the total antithesis of your worldview. You're going to start there and expect you're going to end up going and defending the Bible and getting off of the question. This approach we really need to take this approach from science to ethics to to what the what Scripture says. And I believe the Bible. Now the question here is, what does God say? Well, Rob, you're talking about God, you know. What do you mean by God? Well, I'm talking about a God that exists that, you know, when you talk about God, God is holy and and God sanctified or made holy, created a sanctity for human life. Let me say, if I had not already, I believe in the sacred sanctity or sacredness of human life from womb to tomb and I believe that this is because God has said it that way. Now, let me get to the point. When I say God, I am speaking of a God who is reflected in Scripture, who is spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, moral, personal, intelligent, the sustainer, creator, first cause, who is loving, all-present, all-knowing, and all-powerful. And he's the creator of the universe. Sounds like the God of the Bible, doesn't it? I believe these attributes do reflect the God of the Christian scriptures known as the Bible. So how does God look at life? Let me just share with you a few passages. And I, I kind of expounded on this a little bit. And And I know this is a, a Christian podcast. And you know we, we need to appeal to scripture when we talk about this issue. First off, let me say first and foremost that God is the beginner of human life by creating the first human being. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we read that the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Being there is the Hebrew word nefesh, which is the Greek, which is the Greek when I was Hebrew. <laughs> it's the Hebrew word for soul. He became a living soul. So there's a soulishness that is there. And that soulishness is a reflection of another one where we talk about the second one here, that God created us in his own image and his likeness, soulishly speaking, having the attributes that reflect his nature on a semi-transcendent scale. We read in Genesis 1 chapter 27 where it says that God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him male He created him male and female he created them. Now the image of God, I'll have to have a whole different show on what that means because you have Mormon theology that has a totally different view. Word faith theology has a totally different view of what the image of God looks like in a human being. I'm not going to talk about that in this show today. But I will deal with this, and if you email us at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com, I can answer that question for you via email. Let me move to the third one here. God considers the blood of humanity sacred. Now, you go to Genesis chapter 4, verse 10. We see this after Cain kills his brother Abel. He says, Uh, God says to Abel, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now that you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And in Genesis chapter 4, verse 15, we read, So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, so that no one finding him would slay him. This would later come forth, as one of the last of the six commandments where we read, as you heard Bobby Conway in the commercial say, you shall not murder. That word there in the Hebrew, actually those verses in the Decalogue, where you hear no, uh, you shall not do, and then fill in the blank, whether it's uh, murder, covet, whatever. It's only two words, no murder. No Volitionally taking the life of another human being—in other words, you are playing God when you murder somebody. You are determining whether that life is worthy of living and worth of uh, uh, that person's life. Worth va- no value. You're making this the statement that there is no value to that person's life, and that it needs to be snuffed out. You, you, you see this whole culture of death in the, the pro-choice and pro-abortion movement. And you see, God has... Um, you know, a- a- atheists will look at this and they will um, say, well, you know, you say don't murder. What do you do with Abraham going and telling his son, telling, God telling his to kill his son? Sacrifice his son. What do you do with that? Well, you know, the atheists like to go and say, Well, look at that, look at that CCC. You know, they, they go and they take uh, pot shots at, at Scripture, but they don't read the rest of the story. See, they only read, uh, they only stop with the order given by God to slay his Abraham, for Abraham to, to kill his son. They don't read the rest of the story. We read the rest of the story in uh, Genesis 22, verses 10 and 12. It says, Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad. Do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. What happened? They provided a lamb or a ram in the thicket. That's the rest of the story. So when we look at this whole idea of God considering the life sacred, I want you to know that that which is in the womb and you yourself are his masterpiece, created in the image of God right in the womb. David, in Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16, we read, For you have formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, that's talking about the womb, your eyes have seen my unformed substance before meiosis and mitosis kicked in. And in your book were written all the days which were ordained for me when, when as yet there was not one of them. You're a masterpiece. You are created in the image and likeness of God. And God has a wonderful plan for you. Number five, and lastly, God considers life so sacred that he has set a judgment for those who plague God in taking a personal life. You know, I just laid that out. One of the six things in the Pro, uh, that is mentioned in Proverbs chapter six, one of the six things that God hates is this whole thing about shedding innocent blood. And that was established from the very beginning in the book of Genesis, in Genesis 9, 6, where God after, God, responds to the killing of Abel later by saying, Whoever sheds a man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For the image of God he made man. Now, that doesn't mean we go and kill abortionists. We don't do that you know we've had that in the past we've seen that in the past we've heard of that and people go and say look at that that person was pro life you know now folks we need to pray we need to pray for these pl- these people who are warriors that are standing on the street corners on public arenas public domain the subject the side the sidewalk in front of the planned parenthood is not private property it is public Property. People walk in public. They're not going and walking from one part of it where the borderline of a, of a Planned Parenthood property, and then all of a sudden you got a certain length of space, and then all of a sudden it becomes no longer Banned Parenthood's property. No, it's not the way it works. The public, the, the sidewalk is public property. We need to pray for those that are going and doing, having prayer vigils in front of Banned Parenthood, or Planned Parenthood, whatever you want to call it, um, because abortion is dangerous. There's nothing safe about it. We need to pray for them. And maybe God might be leading you or I to go and join them. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But let me, let me wrap this up. Let me wrap this up. I am sure that, like I said earlier, more could be stated. And... You know, this is just the tip of an iceberg. This is material from the blog that you can read on uh, roblundbergapologetics.com. where you have a copy of it. Of this, basically, it was a script for our show today. But as one who believes in the sanctity or sacredness of human life, I believe that what we are seeing in our culture is a holocaust of the preborn, all because of convenience and liberality of what one does with their body. But what I have presented here, I think, is a strong three-pronged defense from science, philosophical ethics, and theology that life in the womb is just that, a human life from the point of conception. Now, I have been presenting this argument in the past. I've been doing it like I shared with you in conversations and um, over the last 20 years in the medical community and the arena of conversations. I've had this argument wrapped up and packaged and I finally put it on in the blog but folks, science is on the side of life ethics is on the side of life and lastly the creator who created life is on the side of life and he has deemed it sacred let me ask you some questions as I wrap up this show what side are you on? is it morally wrong to harm a person an innocent person is that person a human life? And at the time of the termination of a pregnancy, is that which is in the womb a human life? Folks, friends, these are the questions before us. How are you answering them now, and how will you answer them as a result of hearing what I've shared with you in this show today? Please know that if you're If you are listening to us and you've followed us this far, you can read the blog. And I want to let you know that if you have had an abortion, there is forgiveness, as you heard Bobby Conway uh, share in one of our commercials. There's a relationship that you should look into, and that's with your, your, your creator himself, who came as a man in the form of Jesus Christ, and died, shed His blood for you so that you wouldn't have to shed yours or or shed another's. He loves you. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if you have any questions about knowing Christ and wanting to know more about this Christian walk, you can go to my website at at roblundbergapologetics.com i have a link at the top called get real get real life that the link at that pay on the top of that page will lead you through what i am talking about here also if you have any questions and you'd love to interact with what you've heard today you can email us at at yahoo.com. i want to thank you for listening and thank you for engaging our show today. This is the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday across our country. If you are um, in, in, in church and you listen to the Real Issue podcast, please share this with your pastor. We would love to come to your church and share more about the Real Issue Apologetics Ministry and we would love to share more with you about how you can present this case through a PowerPoint presentation. We'd love to be able to uh, interact with you again thank you for interacting with our show today and as we get ready for next week i think hopefully hopefully uh, some of you um, who know us have been asking when asking my wife when are you going to be on the show uh, she's coming on soon okay hang in there <laughs> but i want to thank you for listening today and i want to thank you for praying for us and Thank you for uh, your faithfulness and listening to the show. And uh, we'll be back with you next week. You know, this, we got another whole week ahead of us. And uh, pray for us as we are uh, praying for change and some things that are happening in our walk, and our life. Uh, pray for our spiritual growth. That's one thing. That's always a good change. But uh, a change in the, in the great direction. But also pray for the direction of the ministry because uh, we're praying for more time. More time to be able to do uh, a more high quality show. Maybe do some videos, uh, talking about some smaller, uh, smaller videos, like a minute, two minute videos, answering a question that uh, our audience can, that our audience asked, or um, or just um, doing videos for quick topics. So that's what we're what we're looking to do. So as you go through this week. As you go out, as you're in your workplaces, as you're in your arenas where God has placed you, be loving, be gracious. But more importantly, live out that gospel life that Christ died for yours and my sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he rose on the third day according to the scriptures. We walk in the resurrection power of Christ. And as you go out this week, listen to what people are saying. Be bold, gentle, reverent, and loving toward the person should you engage in the conversation. But as always, put this before you. Go out and give them heaven. And we'll be back with you next week. Lord bless.